Well, this morning as we conclude our time in this short series on conversion, I'm reminded the more that I studied that we should have had a longer series. <laughs> Isn't that the truth for every series, right? But we should have had a longer series. There's so many intricacies of conversion that are so good. And, and man, there are so many resources that made it in my study time that don't make it up here uh, that I'd love to be able to pass on. If you're like, hey, this was, this was, maybe it wasn't really good, but maybe it was really uh, intriguing and you're interested in it, uh, I'd love to be able to pass some of those things on to you. So if you would like any of that, uh, please let me know and I can can pass it on those things that have been helpful uh, for me. If you would turn with me to Romans chapter eight, Romans chapter eight, beginning in verse one. And as you're turning there, uh, I want to just kind of remind us where we've been in these uh, three preceding weeks of uh, this series on conversion. We started uh, the first week with just a, a simple-ish definition of what conversion is. Uh, when you get into theological terms, there are in some ways no simple things. Uh, so trying to reduce them to their most simple form, uh, we tried to give a definition of conversion. And that definition of conversion was the mysterious activity of the triune God whereby a sinner being convicted of sin and need of salvation upon hearing the gospel repents, trusts Jesus, and is miraculously born again. And in the uh, following few um, topics, we've, we've tried to boil that down and take some of those sentences, uh, to take some of those statements and, and kind of expound on them. Well, this morning, we're going to be talking about conversion's effect. What are the effects of conversion? So we defined it in week one. We talked about it in week two. Do we even need it? Uh, is there really a need for this? Because there seems to maybe, maybe there could be a different way. Well, we said, no, there's not. Jesus himself says, you must be born Again, So it is a must that to be a Christian is to be converted by the power of the Holy Spirit through grace, through faith in Jesus. And then last week we looked at the cause of conversion. The conversion is a uh, synergistic work, meaning uh, two things at work at the same time. The Holy Spirit of God, uh, His activity in convicting a sinner of that sin, and at the same time, it is a work of the state of man and his response to turn from sin and to trust in Christ. That's the cause of sin. And then this morning, we're going to look at the effects of sin. And when we think about effects, I'm trying to think of causal relationships. What are things that uh, affect things. Uh, I follow this guy on social media that likes to rebuild things. Uh, he's right now, uh, Brian, Andrew, don't like cut me off from, from here on out, but he is rebuilding a military Hummer. Uh, he's ripping everything out of it and he's making it an electric vehicle. It's awesome. 
And one of the things that he tried to do is as he's getting all of these systems to be uh, working on electricity rather than uh, combustion, he's, he's trying to, to change all of the dis- different sim- systems out, and <laughs> there's a lot of trouble that's coming with it. And, and it's awesome to get to see him work through that. And one of the things that we count, uh, we often take for granted until uh, the cause and effect isn't there, is starting that engine of your own car. We... 99.999% of the time, we turn the key, the cause, and the effect is that the engine starts going. Now, the engine might not sound great. The engine might be like, I don't really want to take you from point A to point B, but there's a cause. You turn the key, and the effect is the engine's working. Well, as this guy is converting his Hummer from uh, combustion to electric, uh, he turns the key and nothing happens. <laughs> the cause and the effect just don't do it. So he has to figure out what, <laughs> what of all of these hundreds of potentially thousands of systems is the cause of the effect not happening. Well, similarly, the cause of conversion, like we've said, is the Holy Spirit's activity in convicting a sinner of their need of salvation, where the sinner then responds by turning from sin to God. And then what are the effects of that? To be able to see, all right, here's some things that Christians are. There's an author that wrote a book called The Unsaved Christian. That's a really interesting book title. But there is such an understanding that is more cultural and is more um, religious than is truly biblical that there has been in our society an overtaking of, well, you can be a Christian but not be converted. Or you can be a Christian and not submit yourself to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Or you can be a Christian and not believe what the Bible says. And you can be a Christian but believe counter to what Jesus actually teaches. And in this book, the author submits that you might actually be an unsaved Christian. So in this time this morning, I want to be able to say that through the cause of being converted, there is a specific effect that causes a converted believer in the Lord Jesus Christ to look and talk and think and walk and operate and function totally different than we would have before. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So if we are converted, there will be these effects. The effect of conversion looks this way. So to boil it down, the sermon this morning is really trying to answer the question, what does a Christian look like? What does a Christian look like? And I think Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 11, do a great job of helping us point to that. So if you would, stand in honor of the reading of God's Word, and I'll read Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. Hear the Word of the Lord. There is therefore... 
now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the Spirit is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. May the Lord receive honor in the reading of His Word. You may be seated. If I'm not mistaken, next week, uh, Derek's going to be preaching from Ephesians 2. So I'm not going to go into Ephesians 2, but as Paul, uh, the author of Romans, under the inspiration of the Spirit, is, is proclaiming this word to Christians there in Rome. So when he says these things that you are not walking according to the flesh, you should not live according to the flesh, but rather according to the Spirit. There is an understanding from the first seven chapters of Romans that his intended audience is those who have been converted. Those who have trusted in Christ through faith in Him. So as we see these things, we need to recognize that he's not just speaking this broadly, but his Intended audiences for those who believe. And he reminds them that you are not now to submit again back to the law of sin and death. Why? Because Christ has accomplished the work. Christ has done what we could not do in our weakened flesh. Man. What an amazing reminder. This reminds us back to why we must be converted. Because we cannot convert ourselves. And then we're, we're told, Paul says, to walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Derek, I'm sure, will get into that in Ephesians chapter 2 next week. But there is a very distinct uh, contrast between life in the flesh and life in the Spirit throughout Scripture. We, we see in Galatians chapter 5 that the fruit of the Spirit, uh, remembering uh, that song that I was taught long ago, that the fruit of the Spirit is love 
joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, thankfulness, gentleness, and self-control. What a humbling thing for Paul to shine a light into you ought not to, let's keep the hands going the same way, you ought not to live life in the flesh, but rather live life in the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, thankfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Do just a quick diagnostic of your own life. Do those fruit of the Spirit embody the way you respond to stress? Brothers and sisters, there are some times where I hate to preach the Word of God. But I'm reminded the same truths that speak for you speak to me too. That the law and, and my own flesh can't do this. And so often, the effect of my physical body causes me to quench the Spirit. To say, I'm, I, I got this. And then you find yourself getting angry to the point where it just wells up to a boiling point. And you begin to speak to people in ways that you don't intend to speak to people. You begin to think of people in ways that you don't intend to speak of people. Paul tells us right here, that's not the way! And rather than strapping our boots on and saying, hey, it's game time. I've got to do this. He reminds us, yes, you do need to work towards this, but you're not working from nothing. You're working from the Spirit of God who dwells in you to enable you to do these things that you could not do on your own. That's why you needed Jesus in the first place. So being a converted Christian is a reminding daily of our need for Jesus and our need for the Spirit to, in Carrie Underwood's words, take the wheel. There is a totally different life from life in the flesh to life in the Spirit. Do that diagnostic in your own lives. Am I living this day life in the flesh or life in the Spirit? And may we all pursue each morning before we step out of bed to say, I'm going to pursue life in the Spirit of God who has changed me, made me a new creation, indwells me, empowers me to live a life that shows the world Jesus Christ. Because living life in the flesh is just going to show people that we're a lot more jerks than we think we are. that I'm a lot more of a jerk than people probably would think I am. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. What are the repercussions of uh, the, the, the life in the flesh is death. <laughs> Don't do that. For to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile 
to God or does not submit to God's law. What is the implication there? That the life and the mind that is set on the Spirit does submit itself to the law of God. It does submit itself to the Word of God by saying, I am such a foolish sinner in need of a gracious Savior. For those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you, those who are converted, you Romans, you believers here in the Lord Jesus this morning, you, however, are not in the flesh. But the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Let me read that again. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Later in this chapter, we see that the Spirit of God testifies to our spirit that we are children of God. Maybe another diagnostic question. Am I a child of God? Have I been indwelt by the Spirit? For if the Spirit of God dwells in you, you are not in the flesh anymore. You have been transferred from the dominion of darkness that looks like rationality, that looks like foolishness, that looks like all of these different things, and you've been transferred to look more like Jesus. To embody those fruit of the Spirit. But anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. Let me get just Pentecostal a little bit. Because we don't talk about the Holy Spirit a lot in Baptist churches. Maybe here in Kentucky we do. I don't know. But in Oklahoma growing up, we didn't talk about the Holy Spirit. He was like that weird ghosty thing that we kind of little talked about around Halloween. We didn't talk about the effects and the power of God's Spirit in us. And here the Apostle Paul says, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, think about that. The God of creation sent His Spirit and raised Jesus from the dead. That's what's happened to us in conversion. That same Spirit has raised us from the dead uh, of our own spirit, of our own flesh, and has made us new. So let's get Pentecostal and say, if we've been converted, we don't have to just kind of, man... I just messed up some more. Never going to be able to beat sin again. That's been watching a lot of Winnie the Pooh. That's not the Christian life. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead made you new, resurrected you like He did Jesus, and it didn't just poof, go away. No, it's in us. To where when we pop off about, man, why did my kid just do this thing? Why are they doing that? Why did this guy cut me off? Why, why is that person, are they talking about me like that? No, the Spirit of God lives in us, empowers us to live this new life. 
So you've not just been converted and abandoned. No, you've been converted and indwelt by the Spirit of God who gives life to our mortal bodies. That's what's happened to us. The effects of being transferred from the dominion of darkness, being transferred out of the flesh, and now being children of the Spirit. That is now who we are. It's not self-talk. We're not trying to say, hey, we're, we're better than we think we are because we say it. No, we're better than we think we are because the Spirit lives in us. One pastor friend of mine said that apart from the Spirit, I'm a wretch. Apart from the Spirit, we are bankrupt. Apart from the Spirit, we are empty fuel tanks that get nobody anywhere. But in the Spirit, Oh, in the Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. Now you and I can be those, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, be ministers of that same power. Ministers of reconciliation, that God has reconciled us. He's made us right through the work of Christ and has indwelt us with His Holy Spirit. We now don't just get to sit and savor and marinate in, wow, isn't this great? I'm not as much of a jerk as I used to be. I'm actually like kind of bearable now. And continually, by the power of the Spirit, becoming more bearable, becoming... Uh, not just bearable, but becoming more and more like Jesus. What an incredible thing if that would be true of us. So we must walk in the Spirit. We must pray that the Spirit would continually work in us. We must pray in the power of of the Spirit, that we would have opportunities to look more like Jesus when we get angry, when we uh, snap, when we get mad. Can you tell some of the vices that are in my life? When we do these things, we can, rather than just sulking in our own sorrows, we go to Jesus in the power of the Spirit. Say, this is not what Jesus looks like. Make me more like Jesus, Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. He has made you new and will continue making you until glory. Walk in this Spirit. I want to give just a couple concluding things as we wrap up our time on conversion. A couple things outside of Romans 8, but are reminders for us living the Christian life to the best of our ability in the power of the Spirit. Things that only Christians can do. Deuteronomy verse, uh, chapter 30, verse 6, 
Only Christians can love God. Only Christians can love God. I told Derek this morning, I'm loving the study that we're doing for Sunday school. It is a very relevant study, not just biblically, but also for our current time in society. Uh, We are hardly in, but like 14 pages, I think. Uh, So it would be a ripe time if you've not participated in Sunday school uh, to jump on the bandwagon. Don't just dip your toe in. Uh, come, Come wholesale. 9.30 next Sunday. We'll get you a book today and you can read chapter two. I'll let the gazing eyes of members be the conviction of the Holy Spirit. But only Christians can love God. Only Christians can love God. Unconverted people cannot love God. They may fake love for God. They may show love for God. But at the end of the day, the love that they have, if they've not been converted, if their hearts are not made new, their worship is of self and of others, but it is not of God. Secondly, things that only Christians can do. Not only can we only, uh, not only can we, uh, not only can Christians love God, but only Christians can worship Him. I mentioned in our announcement time that people can sing about God. We could even sing about the love of God. We could even, Baptists, hear me out. We can even raise both hands up in singing to God and not be worshiping Him an ounce. If our hearts have not been reoriented to the worship of God through Jesus Christ, we do not worship Him. We only fake with our mouths. What a stark reminder for those who say and profess Jesus Christ that Jesus says uh, to some, not all will enter, for many will come to me on that day saying, Lord, Lord, and I will say, depart from me. I never knew you. Only Christians can love God. Only Christians can worship God. That was coming from uh, John chapter 4, verse 23 and 24, where Jesus tells a Samaritan woman, uh, not on this hill or on that hill, but God desires for those to worship in spirit. Only those in the spirit can worship God. Those in the flesh, Romans 8, verse 8, cannot please God. Thirdly, only Christians can rejoice in future hope. We see among agnostics, we see among atheists that there is no hope, that the desire or the end goal is to be eaten by worms and to cultivate a greener, better society in the future that's to come. That is not the hope that we proclaim in Christ. We proclaim uh, in Christ rejoicing in hope that He is making us completely new and he is making all things new. First Peter chapter one, verses three through 12 says that he uh, is the one who converted us. He is the one who saved us. Blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Man, 
Jesus is making all things new and it starts with us. Through his activity on the cross, he is reconciling all things, earth, humanity, the cosmos. He's making all things new in Jesus. Jesus is converting all things. Fourthly, only Christians can walk in the Spirit. We've just seen from Romans chapter 8, verses 4 through 8, that those in the flesh cannot please God, only those in the Spirit. John chapter 3, Jesus tells Nicodemus that you must be born again, not just of flesh, not just of water, but of the Holy Spirit. Only Christians who are changed, made new, converted by the Spirit, can then walk in the Spirit. Fifthly, only Christians can belong to God. Only Christians can belong to God. You, however, Romans 8, verse 9, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if the Spirit of God dwells in you, you are His. You are His. Sixth and finally, only those who are converted, only Christians can enter the kingdom of God. John chapter 3, verses 3 and 5. Matthew chapter 18, verse 3, saying that we must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. Only Christians can love God. Only Christians can worship God. Only Christians rejoice in future hope. Only Christians walk in the Spirit. Only Christians belong to God. And only Christians enter the kingdom of God. What do we do? We walk in the Spirit. What do we do? Secondly, we proclaim Christ and Him crucified. It's through the power of the Gospel that people are saved. That we can look at these things and say, if only those in the flesh, or if only those who've trusted in Christ, if only those who are Christians, if only those who are converted enter the kingdom of God, there are many who will be cast out on that day. Let us proclaim Christ with urgency so that many more will hear and by the Spirit of God be uh, converted, become Christians in the Lord Jesus Christ. We walk by the Spirit. We proclaim in the Spirit. For there are many who think that Christianity looks like attendance in a building uh, for a set time where something happens, they hear somebody say something, and then they leave with no lasting impact. I'll tell you, you can do that at a movie theater and sometimes come away more impacted than some go in on a Sunday morning. This is not lambasting those who come to church with no uh, ramifications or uh, effects leaving, but this is a reminder for us. What is a Christian? A Christian is one who's been converted. A Christian is one who lives in the power of the Spirit, walks by the Spirit, loves God, worships God, 
rejoices in future hope, all of these things. That is what a Christian is. That is what the Bible tells us a Christian is. I hope this time looking at this biblical idea of conversion, I hope it's been helpful. I hope it's been eye-opening to see uh, that in one sense, it's not a carnival ride where all you have to do is present a ticket. But that there is something profound. It's not just, uh, let's, let's make it more personal. It's not just coming down an aisle and praying a prayer. It's not just being baptized. It's being changed by the Holy Spirit through the power of the gospel where we recognize, I am a sinful, uh, uh, I'm a sinner who is sinful and in need of a Savior. And we find that Savior in Jesus Christ. And you turn from your sin and you trust in Christ to live life changed by the Spirit. I hope it's been helpful. It's been good and challenging for me. May we continue to know our conversion more of when God changed us, made us new, and may that cause us and propel us to continue to walk in our conversion.